Skyrockets in flight Afternoon delight Whew. Ready wow. for this, Paul? <laughs> I thought I was, but now I'm not so sure. You didn't see that coming. <laughs> really didn't. <laughs> What is up, my nerds? Welcome to Pop Culture with Fanboy and Know-It-All. And back inside our crazy brains. I'm Jake. I'm Paul. And if you couldn't guess from the song... Well, I couldn't. ...in the intro, we're talking about Goodwill Hunting today. Yeah, I never really thought of Afternoon Delight as, like, the theme song for <laughs> Goodwill Hunting, but what do I know? Yeah, I mean, I don't know that it's the official theme song, but I will say... You know, since this was on my backlist, I hadn't seen it. Right, right, right. That uh, people had shown me two things, like scenes. They had sent me YouTube clips of two scenes previously. Like when they heard that I hadn't watched it, they're like, you have to see these scenes. And so in two different occasions, people sent me scenes. One was when Matt Damon comes up to the window of the Dunkin' Donuts and asks the guy, do you like apples? <laughs> do you like apples? <laughs> I got a number. How about these apples? Uh, or them apples. You know, I don't know. I'm not Bostonian. Yeah, yeah. The other one was when the montage of Matt Damon in counseling, uh, where it ends with him, or, or he's in a trance, and the, the counselor's asking him questions. He has him hypnotized, and he's asking him what he sees, and he's explaining what he sees and what's happening, and then he transforms into song, and he's singing Afternoon Delight. Yeah, and yeah. it turns out he was messing with the the counselor the whole time. Yeah, I think really I even blocked out that scene, <laughs> honestly, because until I just saw this movie like three days ago, and I think I you still it forgot out. about it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So there you go, uh, Goodwill Hunting, and uh, so we're talking about Goodwill Hunting today because I've scratched that off my backlist hall of shame. No more on your backlist. No more, and we're also going to be doing a Rank Geeks where we talk about the top slash our favorite. Popular films that got snubbed by Oscar, a.k.a. Correct. the Academy Awards. Exactly, because the Academy Awards just threw in a whole new category, best popular film. Lots of people have hated it. Some people like it. We're going to talk about what would have been a best popular film potential winner. Yeah, absolutely. And so, um, and then of course we're going to wrap up the show, as always, with the most least important thing, which is our favorite way to wrap up every little show of ours. So I've got really the most least important thing this Paul time. Paul is coming at you with something so tiny. So tiny, so small, you won't even be able to see it. We'll be so blown yes. by its towering figure. <laughs> Ironically. <laughs> and so with that, and with very little ado, it's time for the Backlist Hall of Shame. Here we are inside the Backlist Hall of Shame. It's a little less sad today because I've been enlightened. I've seen the light. You've seen the light. Goodwill Hunting. Yes, I can Finally, see. Finally, 20 years later. We've scrubbed some of the grime off the windows, mopped the floors a little bit around this particular area. Yeah, there's a few layers left, but it's yes. getting there. 
It's getting there. It's, it's on its there. way. Yeah. It's on its way. Uh, this Gus Van Sant film is only the second Gus Van Sant film I've ever watched. And the first one I've ever actually enjoyed. <laughs> <laughs> so what was the first one? The first one I watched was, uh, I think it was from 2003. It was called Elephant. Oh. Did you have you heard about this one? I've, have I I've talked about it. this one before? Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's it's a really hard film to watch because it's essentially a day in the life of some teenagers on the day of a school shooting. Oh, um, yeah. And it is it is very empty and it is very stark and depressing. And I had to watch it in college for a, a film class I was in, and that was tough. That was probably one of the times I felt the most depressed after watching a movie. Yeah, um, you know sometimes. Movies are weird things, right? Because we go, we pay good money to see them, and then some of them are just really bleak and harsh, and you wonder, why? Why did someone make this? And I know that they're, they have points, and I know that they, they're, you know, art and all this kind of stuff, but, man, sometimes it can be hard. Yeah. They can be really hard. And so Good Will Hunting... Also, you know, it's not like it's a rousing comedy. Right. Or, Although it has some comedic moments. There are a few comedic moments. It's not like it's an action-adventure film. It's, it has some heavy stuff in it. I mean, we're dealing with everything from abuse to illness and death to love and lost love. I mean, there's there's heavy themes here. Finding your purpose. Finding, finding your, your purpose pa- passion. Yeah. You know, trying to weigh when, when you've been given this gift trying to decide how to use that gift or even whether to use that gift. I mean, that was sort of an interesting thing in this movie, I thought. Yeah, so for those of you that haven't seen Good Will Hunting, there will be spoilers for Good Will Hunting in this. But it's been out for like 17 million years. It's been out for a little while, at least 20 years, since Matt Damon was in his early 20s. He wrote this. He and Ben Affleck wrote this in college. Which is crazy when you think about it. It makes me all the more bitter. About you know? how many Academy Awards yeah. nominations they <laughs> got mean, compared about, to you at that age? <laughs> that's exactly right. I mean, you think about these. What was I writing in college? I was writing something self-pretentious, I'm sure. <laughs> this one, <laughs> this was a pretty good screenplay. It had some problems, which I know we'll get into. But, but to think that you could write something that had this level of depth and complexity when you were in college, that just that irks me. Yeah, I would. I would though like to see their first draft. You know that they got. It obviously had to have something to it to get a movie sure. deal, right? Right. But how much was you know where where did it start when they wrote it, and how much of that depth was layered yeah. on by wisdom of others? Yeah, I want to know. I want to know, Matt, exactly. Ben. Let yeah. me know. But I mean, the basic plot. Well, and also speaking of self pretension, they wrote this movie in college to be the stars of themselves. So I mean, that's kind of pretend- self pretentious. Well, that is a good point. That is in a good its point. own way. Right? Another another little interesting bit of trivia, only because I'm the only one who probably finds this interesting. So last last movie we talked about, yeah, Saving Private Ryan, yeah, Matt Damon, Matt Damon. The movie before that, Good Dead Poets Society. Oh yeah. Robin Williams. Robin Williams. So we had sort of a Matt Damon, Robin Williams trifecta. Exactly. Yeah. Well, and, and Goodwill Hunting was Damon's real first first real big film. Oh, it was. Uh, yeah. And then Saving Private Ryan came shortly on its heels. These were yeah. really the films that helped launch him into what is superstar a superstar career. Yeah, and it, it was sort of a strange thing to watch uh, Goodwill Hunting. I don't let you get into the plot really soon here, but. Yeah. But just to watch, you know, Matt Damon and Ben Affleck doing their thing and to think, man, that guy's Batman now. <laughs> you know? And that guy's Jason Bourne. <laughs> I know. 
they went they went in, in an entirely different direction. You know, really, both of them in terms of their careers in some ways. Oh, so. uh, yeah. You know, Ben Affleck went on to make one of the world's worst movies ever made. And what was that? Geely, Giggly, 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 however you want to pronounce that. Yeah, that was terrible. Why but then he did Argo, too, which terrible. was pretty all right. Argo got another Academy Award. Yeah. So he's they've both been all over the map. Yeah. You know, Matt Damon did a cameo in Eurotrip. So... <laughs> There you go. Wasn't, There's ups and downs. Wasn't he in Thor Ragnarok, too? He did have a cameo in Thor Ragnarok. That was actually one of the best parts of the movie. A great part in a great movie. So yeah. so what would have been the low point of, of, of ben, or, uh, Matt Damon's career? What would have been his worst movie? His worst movie? I mean, that he starred in or just that he was in? That period? he was just in. Because Eurotrip is... Oh, well, that would be pretty You know, bad, that's just actually. a teen, garbage teen party movie. And so, like, doing a... Yeah. Doing a cameo in that is pretty bad. Yeah. Yeah, I can understand that. Yeah, I was just thinking, I was just thinking, because I can't think of any Matt Damon movies that I've just hated, but I'm sure there's probably something that comes around. So So there you go. I'll do some thinking. Okay. So the basic plot of Good Will Hunting is Matt Damon is a handsome and attractive young reprobate. Yes. He's been in and out of jail. He's on probation, working as a janitor yeah. at uh, MIT. Right, right. right? It's, it's Super, sort of like your past, actually, isn't it? That, you know, With, it's without MIT? Similar to High School Musical, this was made based on my life. It was like I went from <laughs> High School Musical is about my high school years, obviously, and then Good Will Hunting is about my college years. Exactly. <laughs> and then uh, The Big Lebowski is about my life right now. <laughs> <laughs> and... It just so happens we discover that he's really, really smart. He's wicked smart. Even though he's from the south side of Boston, he's a Southie, right. which is the rough side of Boston. We find out he was a foster kid who bounced from home to home, was abused, but he happens to be a genius. He's read every book in the library pretty much, and he can, he's got a mind for math greater than those who have trained their entire lives. And so once he, get, he gets himself in trouble... And lands himself in one of the worst filmed fight scenes I've ever seen. <laughs> the the fight, okay, so I just got to say that like he's driving along, he sees a guy from like junior high, high school, who used to pick on him, right. and he's kind of like causing trouble on the street, and so he he jumps out of the car, he and his boys, and they get in a fight on the basketball court in Boston with these these thugs, right? And it was it was the dumbest thing I've ever seen. Well, it, I was I, like. Are yeah. they fighting, or are they like? Is this, are they ma- are they coming on to him? <laughs> <laughs> well, it was one of those weird scenes. I didn't remember this when I saw it a yeah. long, long time ago. But when I watched it this time, it did almost feel like a comedy. It was a strange thing where they have all this slow motion and these weird facial expressions. And yeah. It's just it's just this very strange scene. Very it does, yeah, it really doesn't flow with anything. No. It doesn't make sense. Feels like Van Sant was trying something. That he should have, like, gone to the cutting room floor and said, "Nope, this is kind of <laughs> we got. You know what? This is just we tried it. It didn't work. Get yeah. on us. Let's let's, <laughs> let's do it right." Anyways, so he lands himself back in trouble, but this MIT professor who noticed, who's sussed out that he's actually brilliant because he he likes to hide it. Yes, this MIT professor agrees to. Vouch for him, get him out of jail, as long as he agrees to go to counseling once a week and help 
learn math with the the professor at the school. Right. And then he go, burns through half a dozen different counselors because he he's so smart. Them. He just yeah. abuses them instead of actually getting anything out of it. And so the aggravated MIT professor says, you know what? I got this one guy. I don't know why. Ace know, up the sleeve. The ace up the sleeve. I didn't go to him because we had these personal issues from years ago, but I know he's a crazy genius in his own right. So let's try him out. Enter Robin Williams. A full over 30 minutes into the film before we see Robin Williams. True. Which is a feat. It is a feat. In and of itself. And a very different Robin Williams than we're used to. Yeah. You know, even in, even in Dead Poet Society, he, yep. was, he had his manic moments. There was not a single manic moment from Robin Williams in this no. at all. He has a sadness to his eyes. A deep sadness, you know. And I, I, Robin Williams won an Academy Award for, for Best Supporting Actor. It's his only Academy Award. And it, I think that it was really well-deserved because you can see the anguish on his face. You can see him still suffering deeply from the loss of his wife, which, of course, immediately uh, Mr. Hunting sees... Will Hunting, Matt Damon's character. Exactly. I don't think you, I named you him. See a, you see him play on that you know because 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 will has been abusing these counselors yeah. all all the time so he's he looks for these moments life. of weakness and so he sees this immediately and in one of the most shocking moments of the film you know will is picking on the on the wife sees this painting of the of the professor the the psychologist and says well i can see what's going on here it must be you know your pain and your wife and and she left you she was sleep who was she sleeping with exactly all this kind of stuff and and all of a sudden robin williams the robin williams character do you remember his, his character's name just the doctor the oh doctor. yeah no that's a good that's a good question i don't off the top of my head Go yeah on. so he he all of a sudden because we just think of him as robin williams Ed, robin williams comes from like 20 feet away grabs the matt matt damon by the throat and says you disrespect my wife i will end you End you. End you. And he meant it, and you knew he could do it. <laughs> you know, it was it was pretty shocking. So their relationship really didn't get off to the best of footing. No, not great footing. And his name's uh, Sean McGuire. Not particularly memorable. Not very memorable. No, no we'll just call him Robin Williams. Not like, you know, Mr. Keating or whatever. Yeah. Um, no, and I think that was a moment, you know, uh, Will leaves the office. The MIT professor comes in. And thinks, all right, this has gone bad again because they didn't go time. And Robin Williams says, next week, same time, have the boy here. Make sure he is here. And that's when we're like, oh, snap. (laughs) Robin Williams in the house. (laughs) That's right. Um, No, but you're right. I think this – I think we talked about uh, when we watched Dead Poets Society what my favorite role – for Robin Williams was, and at that point, I think I said it was the one in Dead Poets Society. I really liked what he right. did there. This one came in and blew that away. The, it really did. The level of the level of depth to his character, even when he's not speaking, yeah. and what they what he does with it here—that sadness, that pain, but also that determination that's sort of being clawed out by yeah. seeing the. By the stubbornness and this young man that he's working with, and so his doggedness and not giving up, yeah, on someone even though he's having trouble, yeah, you know, not giving up on himself, yeah, was really really 
powerful. Yeah. No, and and actually my very favorite scene, we we, we ended the recap just as, as we get to my favorite scene, which is that 4 p.m. meeting the next time. They walk to the lake, and Robin Williams sits down Will Hunting, and he, and he talks to him and says, you know what? You're really smart. You know so much. You've read so many different books. I am sure that if I talked to you about love, you would quote this guy. If I talked to you about art, you could name Da Vinci and Michelangelo and talk all about their their style and what they were and what they did and sexual predilections and all this kind of stuff. But you have never had the joy of walking into the Sistine Chapel and looking up at Michelangelo's painting um, on the ceiling and seeing the beauty for yourself. You know everything from your books, uh, but you don't know anything about real life. You can't know what my pain is like. You can tell me everything about it, but you can't know. And then my favorite line was actually when he, when he talks about, he says, I know that you're an orphan. I know that you were abused. I know that you had a terrible, you had a terrible upbringing. Would you assume that I knew everything about you if I had read Oliver Twist? You know, and I thought that was just great. And the way Robin Williams delivered the line was just so full of power and pain. Um, I think that, that this was – you get a depth from Robin Williams that you don't see, I don't think, in, in any other movie that I've ever seen him in. He just has this – he has this presence about him that is truly magnetic. Yeah. Well, and, and the way he twists that, I think, and twists us as the audience to think, wow – yeah, that's – I didn't see how he could twist this situ- – I didn't see how he could get to Will at all without sounding patronizing or right. without sounding like a total jerk. Right. And somehow in this one line as he talks about Oliver Twist, he's able to, with compassion, yeah, actually say, I don't understand you and I never will. Right. And how could I presume to? And yet I do care about you. In a very short amount of time, and that's the beauty of Hollywood writing. You know how, how long did it take him to write, you know that particular scene. But um, there's so much truth to that, and I think so much relevance to how we do life with each other, and really the power of this movie, of what it means to to trust people enough to live life and to experience life to Robert, to Sean you know Robin Williams point right, 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 to right. actually go and experience life and love in spite of the pain in spite of the anguish that you have in the past and that you know will come in the future yeah yeah the idea is some of the, the most beautiful moments in the movie actually were really about him talking about his wife and how he would not have traded his wife died from cancer and and obviously the the last few years of her life were incredibly difficult for both he and her and and so, you know, Will Hunting presses him on the point. I mean, do you regret having spent your life with, you know, that those years with her? Do you feel like those were wasted years? And he says, no. Every single moment. I don't regret a single moment that I spent with her. Has this great story about how he missed a Red Sox game, a really pivotal Red Sox game, um, to actually meet who became his wife for the very first time said, you take these tickets, I'm going to see about a woman. And so that was how he met. Gave up the Red Sox tickets. He never regretted that. He never regretted any single moment, even the terrible, terrible times that they had. And I think that that's, that's a beautiful statement about life, you know, yeah. really. It's meant to be lived, even in the painful parts. Yeah, when you think about it, it's really um, 
taking the theme of dead poet society and just advancing it into the pain of the future that those boys and yeah in that school would have had to experience yeah. later in life you know going from the privileged who who are who are cloistered right. and kept away from experiencing life by the over control of society and expectations to a young man who has sort of been set free into right. life but is trapped by you know the demons and the abuse of his own past and his own mind yeah and you know the importance of actually experiencing and not just wallowing right in what you find yourself in yeah regardless of whether you know it's your fault or not right 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 and, and in some ways i think that that's a great uh that's a great parallel to dead poet society and in some ways i think that this is a much more responsible movie in a way yeah um dead poet society it has a little bit of of this idea of, of experienced life to the fullest, even if, even if you're being irresponsible or whatnot. This movie is not about that. This movie right. is about experiencing life, but experiencing the pain and the heartbreak and accepting your responsibility. Because right. as we hear again and again, because Will Hunting has these incredible abilities, he has a certain responsibility to use those abilities um, to the best that he can. And so you feel that tension over over how to use them well and whether uh, Will even wants to use them. You know, he's a Southie. He wants to stay with his friends in a, in a lot of ways and hide from all those responsibilities that his gifts allow him to be. So right. in that respect, the movie is actually more um, edifying. Yeah. It's, it's something of a counter, counterbalance right. to what we to where Dead Poets Society lands. Right. Where this says, you know what, some expectations, some responsibilities are good and ground you and help give you direction. Right. And you do have responsibilities that you have. To, you can't experience life as you experience people, as you care for people, as you live yeah. responsibly. Yeah. No, it ironically even though i feel like this is this has a better point in a certain way than than dead poet society i didn't like it as much yeah well because we like the the rah rah of yeah. dead poet society it has we a like, much more inspirational feel to it whereas right. this does not as much yeah because i mean and that's why the best motivational speakers and i'll use that term loosely the best motivational speakers are rah rah because the human spirit gets downtrodden by the humdrums of daily life by the pain and the evil and the world around us and so our i think mentally we like when people come in and just give us the rah-rah and aren't tempering it with the even though it's more useful in the end to have that more tempered answer our brains like the rah-rah mm-hmm. that's why we get inspirational speeches from leaders coaches parents you know yeah in general is and why we resonate with remember the titans and right, right. all these films with crazy good inspirational speeches from coaches yeah because we want that. We want to we want to have that inspiration. Right. And so I I, th- I think I can understand why maybe one is easier to like. Yeah. And the other is easier to appreciate. Yeah, yeah. No, and and I I can't say that I didn't like this movie, but the other thing that really drew me back and I'll let you talk about because, you know, since it's on your backlist, yeah. you should be the one to make the, you know, the final decision on this, but one thing that bothered me when I first watched it 20 years ago or whatnot, um, and something that still bothered me today, it was a harsh movie to watch. I mean, this is this is an R-rated movie, 
and the language just felt pervasive to me. I am not one who, who I think typically gets distracted by the language. For me, the language was really distracting in this. And I think, I think because the, the Southie environment, the South Side way that they were raised up, it didn't feel very germane to my experience. And so because of that, there was a certain distance that I felt mm. between the main characters and, and the story and, and my own life. It didn't feel maybe as universal as it would to some other people. Mm. Um, and, yeah, I found I found the, the harshness, the fighting, the... There's a weird scene where one of the one of uh, Will Hunting's friends is upstairs in his grandmother's room <laughs> doing something he shouldn't be. Get out of my mom's room! <laughs> don't don't be doing that in my mom's room. And so you have these these moments that sort of took me out of the story because I was it forced me to look at something that was not really germane, I don't think, to the story. And because of that, it didn't resonate with me as much as I might have thought it might. Yeah. Now, I'd be curious to... Because you and I both were raised in the Midwest... Right. In very, you know, middle-class settings... Yeah, our parents... Settings. Yeah, there wasn't a lot of cursing. There wasn't a lot of fighting in our... Well, probably in your house, because you had so many, you know... Brothers that you had to deal with all the time, but might have been some cursing there. But it, <laughs> I would be curious to hear the perspective of somebody who grew up in those settings of whether that really hits home for for them who grew up around those in a more in a working class setting in a you know the opposite side of the tracks type setting, urban that type of thing, right? Yeah. You know, whereas to us, it's like, well, we just grew up in Colorado and New Mexico, so what do we know? Right, right. And like the suburbs of Colorado and New Mexico, presumably. Exactly. I and, think that we, that we both, in our own sort of ways, grew up. It, it's sort of odd. I mean, we all grew up in sort of these sheltered environments, and yet they weren't so sheltered in some ways. But but the sort of not sheltering that we experienced right. was not like this. Yeah. So. I guess for me, it probably helped the whole foster care angle probably helped me get into a little bit more just because that's something my wife and I have have spent some time, you know, we've, we've gotten licensed as foster care uh, parents and we've had a foster kid in our home and uh, and watched another and and just getting tiny and just like the training you have to do and the time you spend getting to know what these kids go through. You know, even and they go through some terrible stuff to get into the foster care program, right? I and mean, it can be really harsh. And so, in that sense, I think it was probably easier for me to empathize with Will because of that, because that's something I've just I've observed more closely than I would have otherwise. And so, I think I had a different level of sympathy for what you know where he's coming from and why he has the rough edges that he has. Um, like you understand that regardless right. of where you're at, like, oh, that would be really tough. But when you've seen it firsthand or close to it through the eyes of these kids, it's like, I, I get it. And right. so it was a little less jarring for me just because I felt yeah, like I've seen not the same, but right. similar things. Not personally, again, not personally, but through sure. these little kids' sure. eyes. So anyways, um, that didn't jar me as much. I will say, like, Van, uh, it took it takes you a while to get used to the fact that you're not seeing the movie on the whole screen, that it's a little, yeah. little tiny square in the middle of the screen. But you actually, it ends up, I think, uh, drawing your focus in yeah. to what's happening, you know, instead of getting lost 
by seeing everything to the edges and then maybe seeing the painting that, that you have sure. hanging on the wall. Yeah. That it draws your set, your focus to the center of the screen. I found I – th- I thought that was interesting. That was my experience yeah. with the way Van Sant chose to do that and, and not and, use all the real estate. And I think that that's, a, that's an interesting point and, and I think that it does – it's done to such a great effect because this is such a personal story. You know, you zoom in on these. It really is almost a personality study of those, these three or four people. And because of that, you zoom in on them and you feel very intimately attached to them visually, which I think is kind of an interesting technique for sure. Yeah. Um, but as far as artistic stuff goes, I, I, I felt like the movie Meanders. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know if that's a Van Sant thing because that was my experience with Elephant, yeah. obviously, where he's kind of just exploring. He's trying to be almost documentarian yeah. in Elephant, which only came out a few years later. Sure. And so I don't know if that's maybe sort of a Van Sant signature since I've only seen two of his movies. But I didn't feel like all of the thread, you know, like we kind of lose the whole fact that he's doing all this insane math at MIT because we see it so infrequently. Yeah. And so then when we do see it and we do see the professor again, it's sort of like, oh, yeah, that guy's here. And why is he upset all of a sudden? Like it doesn't feel like that thread's getting pulled along the same way. It's sort of like it comes and right. inserts itself at multiple. Mo- right. So I thought some of the pacing and things like that could have used some work Mm -hmm. but i will say overall i did enjoy the movie and if i had to put it on a scale of one to ten i would give it a seven and a half for me interesting so now let me ask you just because it was the first thing the negative thing that i mentioned did the language bother you is that something that you noticed as you were watching I mean, I did, but I, I, that's sort of what I was getting to when I was saying it didn't jar me as much right. because I've, you know, yeah, I think I had a, I've seen, I've been around it to a different degree in my own personal life, sure. you know, playing, uh, playing football and being in the locker room and hearing that kind of language. It was, it was less jarring to me than I think it sounds like it was for you. Yeah, no, it, and it was interesting. It was for me. It was. I was interested in the way I reacted to it because, you know, obviously I see a lot of movies that have a lot of profanity. And oftentimes I I, I don't think that profanity is necessary most of the time in most movies that I see. Yeah. Um, But it doesn't necessarily – it doesn't necessarily distract me. And in some ways, we even talked a little bit on the preamble of our last show about Logan, right, and how profane that was. I really – that is not something that sticks with me in that movie, even though I'm sure it was – it had probably as many or more curse words than this one did. But for some reason, this movie, there was something about maybe the rawness of it, you know, um, the very – the very organic nature of it that that struck me more, and I, it, it was interesting to me that that I was as distracted as I was by it. I yeah. think that this movie and Glengarry Glen Ross are the two movies that I would say that's one. Those are the two movies where the language is it's almost language for language's sake, and it sort of is part of the point, and yet it pulls you away from the point. Um, so I just think that that's interesting. I I'm with you. I. I I think that this movie had some real strengths to it. Robin Williams is fantastic. The story is compelling. For me, I think it's a little bit overrated. Considering as much love and as much adulation as this movie has gotten over the years, 
I did not enjoy, enjoy it as much as I would like to have enjoyed it. And I think I would probably give it six and a half. Yeah. Do you think partly this is somewhat of a tangent, but do you think partly the the way it strikes you is that in the movies where you're hearing this a lot all right. the time right. as a as a movie reviewer, right? Uh, is it that in those moments when you're reviewing a movie and you're actually look you know sort of seeking out those curse words, right? I feel like there's a sense of removal that happens when we review movies. I've done right. a few, not as many as you have. Right. But when I'm looking for that kind of stuff, it almost becomes clinical. Right. And it becomes less bothersome and more scientific. Like you're just observing something happening. It's like, well, there's one and there's another and there's another. And so it it the way I process it in real time and in post is very different from when I'm watching a movie for myself to yeah. enjoy or to to process for my own viewing and I'm not there to review it like for for parents or families. Right, right, right. That I have a very different experience with the film overall, including the negative content like I, harsh language. I actually think that's a fascinating point and I had not really thought about it, but I think you're absolutely right. I mean in some ways I would have thought that because of of the way I review movies, you know, I sit down and and watch a movie and I have this little sheet that I actually mark down curse words because that's what I do for for my day job. Um, So I I mark them all down so I'm super hyper aware, which would make you think that that would make me super hyper aware all the time um, and would heighten your awareness. But I think you're right. I think you're right that there, there is a sense of remove. There is a sense of of you're stepping away from this and you're just cataloging what you see. And so because of that, it becomes much more marks on a sheet of paper as opposed to something that sinks into you, as happened with this movie. You know, I wasn't taking notes for this movie. I just watched it. And so because of that, you sink so much deeper, I think, into the story and the elements of the story then um, wash over you to to a greater degree. Yeah. Now, it, it was interesting to me because the first time I saw Good Will Hunting was 10, 15 years before I ever started reviewing movies like this. And that was the thing that, that I came away from, even in my, in my non-plugged-in days. I came away just, just thinking about the language. Yeah. It was interesting that I still thought so much about the language this time around. I, it really surprised me. Yeah. What did you guys think of the language? <laughs> if, it feels if you so superficial when yeah. you're talking about you know this this movie, but it's still you know you, you come away with some weird things sometimes with these movies. And you so. start talking in a Boston accent, and you're like you know Paul, why don't you go do something to your mother? You know, but not not in Ma's room. You know, I don't know. Oh my I don't know if I can do a Boston accent. How about them apples? I don't know. Is this Boston? Is this Boston? I don't know. Is this Boston? Is it New York? I don't know. I don't even yeah, know. Yeah, I, I think it's... Is it New I Jersey? I don't I even know. I think it's South Jersey. <laughs> I'm a Southie from Jersey, not Boston, <laughs> you know? <laughs> uh, if you if you ignored the content caveat on the previous episode, we watched this movie years ago. Uh, what did you think of Goodwill Hunting? Are we way off in our low ratings of this movie, particularly Paul, putting it almost all the way down by a five? All the way down. <laughs> and me not giving an Academy Award cred by putting it at seven and a half. But Robin Williams did deserve Robin it. Robin Williams deserved it. I, I mean, 
And I think that the screenplay deserved insane. it too. It's, even though even though I was bothered by the language and half the screenplay was you know bad words, <laughs> it was still a really good screenplay. It yeah. just I just think it's an overrated movie. Yeah. So there you go. Uh, you know, let's blame it on Gus Van Sant. Yeah, it's his fault. It's his fault. Gus, Gus, what are you doing, what was, Gus? What happened? This could have been good. You had Robin Williams, <laughs> Matt Damon. You had Ben Affleck, Stellan Skarsgård. I, I don't know what happened. I don't know what happened. It would have been a totally different movie if Ben Affleck had been wearing his Batman uniform during the Very whole thing. Very different film. Very different. Yeah, this the, really. You know what? What we need is the movie in between this one and Batman or versus Superman, where we see how he became such a grizzled oh, superhero. That would be Chucky, great. Chucky is really Bruce Wayne. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that would be interesting. Yeah. I'm thinking about all the possibilities now. Well, for our next and final film in this round of the Backlist Hall of Shame. Oh, is yes. That's coming right. off of Paul's list. And it's from the year of his birth. The year of my birth, 1969. 1969's The Italian Job. Who knew that they even made movies that far back? Uh, it, you know, it was news to me. <laughs> I, you know. Yeah, so the original this Italian Job. In color, right? <laughs> yeah, in color, they had cars. Because they have to chase it's all in, around it's you know, insane. Italy. So Yeah. Michael Caine's in it. Yeah. And he's got one of the better British accents. <laughs> exactly. There. You know, Master Bruce. I can't do it. Michael Caine is Michael just Caine. so but he's great. Cool. He's so cool. So uh, the Italian job, get it from your local library and Amazon Prime. Watch along with us. Go I've along never with seen us. it before, so it should be fun. We'll see what happens. And uh, but now it's time for Rank Geeks. Here we are inside Rank Geeks, where two smelly nerds put things in numerical order. Speak for yourself. Occasionally. Yeah, Paul has trouble with putting things in numerical order. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just not smelly. (laughs) I didn't say it was a good or a bad smell. Could be a good smell, Paul. You just think you have no odor at all? Good I have no odor. No odor. No yes. odor. You I have, always smell. You have no odor. I always smell like no fresh rain. No odor. Because <laughs> you don't smell. That's actually true. You don't smell, and you can't put things in numerical order. And so, no. why are you even in this segment? Why are we? Yeah, I'm. I'm not ranking anything. I'm just going to blather on about. You something don't stink, other. and you don't rank. Right. So. I'm not rank and don't rank. Are you even a geek? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. All right. So uh, we're here to talk about the fact that the Oscars have said they're introducing a new category, Best 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 Popular popular Film. film. Yeah. And uh, so we thought we would rank sort of our best popular films. Yeah. yeah, What might have won that category. Exactly. Way back when. If they had introduced. Now, I will say, I do want to say, I think this is... Time will tell whether this is a good idea or not. My gut reaction is I think this is a dumb idea. This is the Oscar – like because what we really want as the people is for them to just acknowledge that they're good films. Right, exactly. By them saying best popular film, it's like, oh, this is the best of what the plebeians like. Well, that's exactly it. I mean it, it's so frustrating. We could really do like three podcasts just on this topic because it really is – there's a lot of – Complexity. They don't even know what they're doing with this category, really. And it, it does feel like, okay, so you have best film, but then you have best film that's made a lot of money. 
that's the, if they would just acknowledge that there can be some pretty good films that people actually like and people <laughs> actually go to, then I think we would not need this category. We wouldn't but have they, a problem. They yeah. have such a problem doing that, they you do. know? They do. It's so frustrating. And I think two out of the three that I've brought to my list right. legitimately should have won Best Picture that year. I think. And you know what? You guys can tell me whether I'm right or wrong. So, Paul? All right. Go ahead. Oh, my goodness. Okay, so first, like I do every single rank kicks, I have to tell you how I ranked these. <laughs> How'd you rank them? Well, I didn't rank them. You're right. I didn't <laughs> rank them. But I had some, some, like, I put together, like, some categories, you know, because I had to figure out what does a popular movie account for, right? Yeah. So... And I just went through the last five years and looked at, like, the, the best movies, you know, the best popular movies for that year. So my standard is essentially anything that landed in the top 20 for grosses of that year, I'm going to qualify as a popular film. And I'm just going to do the last three years because why not? Why not do that? So last year, the winner was Shape of Water. That was the best picture winner. Um, there were Last a lot year of, being 2017, for those of you listening in the future. That's correct. 2017, Shape of Water won Best Picture. Um, but there were a lot of much better movies, honestly, that made more money than Shape of Water. Just my a few. pick, my pick, and there were two two ones that I was really tempted to go for: Wonder Woman and Logan. I am not picking those. I'm just cheating just to get their their names out there. Yeah. My pick for best popular movie that really should have been best film. Dunkirk. Dunkirk. Bum-blum. It was a very nice Christopher Nolan war movie that was clicked along at 90 minutes. It was one of the most gripping war sagas that if 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 we did a, a Rank Geeks on war movies, I, after, like, in the wake of Saving Private Ryan, I think Dunkirk would have made my list. Ooh. There you go. So that's there you a, go. That's a ringing endorsement. So that's my number three pick, even though it's not really number three. Number three. All right, for me, um, I I went I went a little bit more gut here on popular. Like, Is that a surprise? A no, movie? it's not a surprise to Paul. So I wasn't looking at gross money and <laughs> you know net money. You always go for the gut. I went for the gut, and I think because that's what the people want, right? <laughs> they don't what, want. They're not looking at the gross. They're looking at the gut. That's right. They're like, this is a good movie, and it should win an Oscar. Although. If no one saw the movie, or even get nominated for an Oscar, and so the one th- the one thing for me that you could say is that all the ones I picked were not even nominated for Best Picture. Oh, okay. That was sort of my one rubric. Was oh, that's they didn't even get a nod okay. for Best Picture. They should have at least been in the running. And then I think, except in one case, so these were totally won. overlooked. These were totally overlooked. So all that's right. that's how I did it. Uh, and so number three for me. Is the only one on my list that I think rightfully didn't win Best Picture, but should have been nominated, and that is Groundhog Day with Bill Murray, Andy McDowell, back from 1992. Wow, that's a really interesting pick. Yeah this this is legit. This is probably my favorite Bill Murray movie. Yeah, and it's hilarious. It's deep. It's resonant. Like what what it plays with with life in a comedy is actually surprisingly uh, poignant. Oh, no, it is. Even as it makes you laugh out loud with some of the stuff it does. Yeah, and see, this is this is actually a really interesting... You, just you naming this movie, honestly, 
it brings up sort of an interesting wrinkle because I think when the movie was first released, it, it only made $70 million, which is chump change now, right? <laughs> only made $70 million in 92. Yeah, no, 92. Granted, that's a little bit different in 92 money. But, but at the same time, this is a movie that has grown its its reputation has grown over time i mean i think that when it was first out i don't know this for sure but when it was first out it probably was not thought of as the classic it is today you know because now it is considered to be one of the greatest comedies ever made and you're absolutely right it has the depth it has it has a lot of a lot of complexity to it and it's super super funny too you know that's a hard combination to get but you have these films that weren't necessarily as popular back in the day uh, 70 million dollars in 92 is nothing to see. if a comedy uh, made 70 million today that'd be pretty darn solid yeah i don't know I mean, let's let's just see what what it was ranked. In let's the, see what its ranking was, yeah. Paul. Yeah. So let's see here. Da, 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 da. Oh, yeah. Talk about something. <laughs> well, I, so that's where yes, I'm not basing it on gross. I'm basing it on my gut, and that yes, the popularity has grown over time. But again, seventy million, I don't think, is anything to sneeze at in terms of popularity at the time, especially when you look at other ones that were nominated that year, like The Remains of the Day or In the Name of the Father or The Piano. I have not heard of any of those films. <laughs> well, and that's that's very viable, too. I mean, that makes a lot of sense. That's that's the argument against the way they're picking best pictures now. Yeah. You know? What movie are we still watching today? Groundhog Day. Now, the movie that won... For that year was Schindler's List. So oh, it's like, yeah, no, that should have won. Right, that should have won. And I'm not arguing with that. But Groundhog Day, 96% fresh on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah, and Rotten Tomatoes wasn't around back then. But, but they still have. They still have Rotten Tomato scores for so let's see these in, popular movies. In 1993, Groundhog Day ranked number 13 on the list. See, it was even a top 20. Schindler's List was actually see. Here's the problem: Schindler's List actually made more money. That's all right. I'm just saying, Groundhog Day should have been nominated. This is a flawed category. This is what this illustrates. Is yes, this is a flawed, flawed category. category. So, because there have been there have been times. I think when I was looking at the list last night, there have been five or six times in the last forty years where the top-grossing movie has also won yeah. the Best Picture award. And see, here's the question: What happens? Does because of this category, does that mean that it'll be less likely that these right. popular movies actually win an Academy Award for Best Film now? Right, sort of like the best because because I think the the closest parallel we have, at least that I can think of off the top of my head, is with Best Animated Feature, right? Right, because there are these Pixar films that are put on list time and time again. As I was looking around, as being this should have won Best Picture, not just Best animated picture and so there's still controversy right they have their own category best animated feature they have their own category to win and they do but everybody's like that was just the best film that year period and which so is sort of been best picture absolutely and i'm going to use that as a segue to my number two number two pick 2015 the winner of best picture that year was a little movie called spotlight Spotlight. Which was a fine movie. A good movie. Yeah. A great movie, some would say. I really enjoyed it. But you know what else came out that year? Hmm. 
Inside Out. Inside Out. That did come out that year. That was a brilliant movie. So good. Animated movie, Pixar. It was actually one of our first experiences doing something like this. We actually sat down and did a little vodcast on Inside Out that was super entertaining, which, you know, is probably... You know, long it's probably eaten by the internet now, and uh, it's still got thousands of views. Thousands of views. Yeah. This was it was probably the peak of our popularity. Really, <laughs> that was the, we started at the top. Now we're here. <laughs> Inside Out, I think, was an absolutely brilliant movie, and I think that that the fact that that it wasn't recognized um, is a shame because I think it was the best movie by far that year, and it also made sixteen. Bazillion dollars. 16 bazillion official numbers from That's Box right. Office Mojo. That's right. By the way, in the year that uh, that Groundhog Day was released, uh-huh. the number one grossing movie of that year, yeah. Jurassic Park. Jurassic Park. Which was also a really good movie. Yeah, but not better than Groundhog Day. No. no. I would agree with that. All right. Number two for me um, is from 1979, Paul. Wow, you're really going deep. I'm going real deep here. Okay. Paul's all... Paul's in, like, the modern era. I'm digging back to the classics. <laughs> Paul, can you guess what movie from 1979 I'm going to say here? 1979. My guess is you are going to say Alien. Oh, you got it. Ding, 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 ding. <laughs> Alien. Not even nominated for Best Picture yeah. that year. And this movie still works. I had to watch it last year for the Backlist Hall of Shame. We talked about it on this show. I was super impressed with how well that movie was made. With the way they hide the spoilers, they keep the story moving along, the claustrophobia, you know, the, the study of a character, even with very technically very little character development, not knowing very much about Ripley. This is really a tight and fascinating film. And you know what? I know a lot of people like Aliens better. I think Alien is the better of the two films. Yeah. And as the fir- like, not just because it's the first, but because it's the best. And I have to say, uh, what is this Kramer versus Kramer crap? Kramer versus Kramer <laughs> won Best Picture. Alien wasn't even nominated. Yeah. Norma Ray, Breaking Away, all that jazz, all nominated for Best Picture. Never heard of them. Know nothing about them. Maybe call me crazy, but Alien should have at least been nominated. I could see the case for you know what else came out that year and what and was nominated for Best Picture was Apocalypse Now. Yeah, and really it should have been a showdown between Apocalypse Now and Alien. No, again, I think this is a really illustrative uh, discussion because when you see that Alien wasn't even nominated, I mean, I'm a movie guy. I have never seen Kramer versus Kramer. I have no desire to see Kramer versus Kramer. I don't, you know, it's it's one of those movies that you've sort of heard about. Yeah. But it sort of faded back. And, and I think that the, that the 70s was really the time when you start seeing, before that, I think Best Picture really reflected some artistic quality, but it also reflected popular culture. And the 70s was sort of a time when all of a sudden there there came to be this beginning, growing divide between what people actually liked and what the critics liked. Yeah. And you do think about you think about a movie like Alien, I think almost every critic would say, "Yes, that is an all-time science fiction horror classic that redefined in some ways what both of those genres can look like." Yeah. Kramer versus Kramer was very nice sensitive drama, <laughs> but it really has gone by the wayside and and uh, 
Yeah. It just infuriates. Right? It, yeah, this this conversation infuriates me that that these awards are given to these movies that are just fine, yeah. but no one really cares about them. Not a word with it. Not Ten a word years worthy. later, yeah. It's like, just, you know what? Here's here's what the Oscars should do. Uh, leave Best Picture and actually put great pictures in there and then create a new category for Best Art House Drama, which is what they want to give the Oscar to anyways. Yeah, yeah. A few years ago, you know, back when The Dark Knight came along and that got gypped for, for Best Picture, everybody said, oh, that really should have deserved a nomination. They broadened the nominations out so they could include more popular movies. It just didn't work. No. It just didn't work. They're still nominated the very same Yeah, movies. because it's the same people nominating. It's not like they're sitting over here like, oh, I'm so sorry. We would have we would have totally done it, except no. They didn't they wouldn't have. Like so broadening the category just lets them, doesn't fix the problem. Yeah, no. All right, number one for you, Paul. Number one, going to twenty fourteen. This is a... This is an interesting thing. Just it really falls right along with our discussion. The winner that year was a little movie called Birdman. I liked Birdman. Birdman was a great movie. It it's sort of Michael Keaton. It was a comeback role for him. He did a fantastic job with it. It was it was very compelling. It it was a little bit more memorable, but it was a classic art house film in yeah. some ways. Are and we going to remember it in twenty thirty years? Well, and that's maybe the, the few people that watched it. That's yeah, exactly. It really falls in in a line of of this is a movie that was really good. The people who saw it really thought it was a good movie, but it is not going to be as well watched as the movie I'm going to name now, which I think probably should have been the best popular movie and should have been probably nominated for a best picture. Yeah, and this is this is going to feel like a bit of an outlier, but Captain America: Winter Soldier. Absolutely. You know, because when you look at that movie, here's the thing. It's a good movie. It's a good movie. Birdman was... It almost doesn't even feel like a superhero movie. Yeah. The, the funny thing about Birdman is it sort, of, it sort of undercut, you know, how Michael Keaton made his fame with, it, with the very first huge, huge super movie that there was in our lifetime, the, the original Batman, mm-hmm. right? So he's been playing off this. So it was sort of an undercutting of, the, of sort of that, that superhero blockbuster genre. It was almost just a cut down of all those types of movies. Captain America Winter Soldier also was in its own way sort of uh, an undercutting of, of what superheroes and this superhero are all about. You know, it, this was taking who we knew Captain America to be, putting him in a different situation where the good guys that he had always worked for weren't necessarily the good guys anymore and how Captain America would respond. It was an incredibly gripping um, espionage yeah. movie. No, in a sense. it's a spy thriller. It is a spy thriller with a superhero at the at the middle of it. And, and it... I think that this was sort of the mark where superhero movies stopped being just superhero movies, and they started broadening. They started looking at different stories they could say, tell. And this became, I think, one of the all-time classics of the genre, and I think it should have been nominated. Yeah, if you take, if you take out Captain America's name and you call it Winter Soldier and you put somebody else in the boots other than Captain America, this is a movie that works. It is a movie that works. Now it's it's extra I think it's extra good with mm-hmm. Captain America because of what we know about his past and all those things. So of course it's made better by all those factors, but this is just a really good movie. Right. And right. one of the best Marvel movies 
yeah. that has been made yet. No, I think that's absolutely right. I think when you look at it, I mean, people are talking about Black Panther as being a, a Best Picture nominee this year. Captain America Winter Soldier, I think, blew Black Panther away just in terms of its quality. And I think that because of what we know about superheroes, that it almost allows a certain form of shorthand where you don't have to go into as much of the story as you ordinarily would because you know <coughs> who these characters are already. Yeah. You know what they're all about. And so because of that, you're able to dive into the story on a on a quicker level and on a deeper level than you would have otherwise. And yeah, yeah it should have been it should have been nominated for sure. Yeah. No offense to Birdman. No but. offense to Birdman. So similarly, Paul already foreshadowed this with that with that pick and earlier. And because for me, the number one pick for this list has got to be 2008's The Dark Knight. Bum 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 bum. Ninety four percent fresh on Rotten Tomatoes. I don't know who gave it a bad review. Yeah, Some, I, I, somebody who didn't actually watch the movie. I've I've written that guy angry letters. Actually, yeah. Um, this again was a superhero movie that didn't feel like a superhero movie that you could have made just to be this crime thriller mafia movie. You know, just a gritty cop drama. Mm-hmm. Except it just so happens to have Batman in it. And a Batman that we have some context with. But this Chris, this might be my favorite Christopher Nolan film. As hard as it is to watch because of the – and we've talked about – I'm not going to go into it in depth because I've gone into it in so much depth in previous episodes about what this movie has made me think about both as a human being and as a uh, an appreciator of cinema. Right. I mean it's just such a – it's such a well-made film. Right. And a well-told story – the one of the best villains of all time, if not the best. Right. Uh, I think I've ranked him in my own personal list as the best villain on screen that we've ever seen, and it's just in, it's a tour de force. Did not even get nominated for best picture. Right. Milk was nominated. Frost Nixon was nominated. The Reader. Yeah, I was the only one who saw Frost Nixon, and it was a fine movie. Sure, it was fine. <laughs> but- Am I going to be encouraging my grandchildren and great-grandchildren yeah. to see no. Frost Nixon? No. The Reader was Kate Winslet sleeping with an underage boy. Like, what? No. I mean, The Curious Case of Benjamin Button was nominated. Great film. I like that one a lot. But it's long, and it whines, and not it's not everybody's cup of tea. I liked it, but it was also nominated. No nomination for Dark Knight. Slumdog Millionaire, I hear good things. Oh, it's a good movie. Good you should things. see that. That's on your but back list next year. The Dark Knight was the best film in 2008. Should have been nominated. Should have won. There were, that was a great year for movies. I'm just looking over uh, the list. You know, The Dark Knight was number one on the on the box office. Iron Man was number two. Iron Man. Wally was out there at the same time. Yeah, Wally was uh, controversial. People Grand thought that Torino was a great movie. So you've got a lot of really great movies. It was a heavy hitting year. But but Dark Knight. I mean, you look at the. I, I already listed a Christopher Nolan movie, Dunkirk, yep. on my list. And, and when you look at Christopher Nolan's career, he has made some tremendous movies. You know, Dunkirk, Interstellar, Inception. I know that some people have problems with, with a lot of those movies for different reasons. And I know that Christopher Nolan is an acquired taste. But he's done some really interesting things. Dark Knight, still the best movie he's ever made. Yep. There you have it. What was your favorite popular film to get snubbed by an Oscar? Let us know on Twitter so we can rant together and let the Oscars know that they know nothing. <laughs> and with, with that, it's time for, appropriately, the most least important thing. 
are at the end of the show. With the way we love to wrap up every single show. It love tends it. to be one of the high energy segments on this show. <laughs> at least when we argue. <laughs> and that is the most least important thing. Where we take tiny little nothings and turn them wax into eloquent. Big yeah. Turn them into big arguments. Or we take the things that you guys are arguing about and we say, mm, maybe maybe it's nothing. You know maybe what? We haven't argued tiny. at all during this entire show. It's true. It's about time yeah. we argued. I don't think so. No? Yeah. What's your most least important thing? <laughs> I was trying to start an argument there. Oh, okay. You, yeah. yeah. Okay. So my least, <laughs> my most least important thing. Kevin Spacey had a new movie coming out this this, oh. this week. It came out with a bunch of other things. You had lots of, of interesting movies to come out. Mile 22, um, Alpha. They all did just fine. I will Kevin say Spacey's, Alpha looked like garbage. It was not bad, actually. It wasn't terrible. If you like dogs, if you like... I'd, have you ever wanted a wolf as a pet? I mean, I would rather have a tiger as a pet. But if you had a choice between a wolf and a chihuahua. Well, yeah, duh, but that's because <laughs> chihuahuas mean, are garbage. Everyone would like a tiger Nobody as a wants pet. a chihuahua. Even <laughs> no. chihuahua owners don't want chihuahuas. <laughs> I, like, think, I think Paris Hilton would. Jesus would said to, to do unto the least of these. <laughs> we're, we're derailing here. All right, so, Kevin Spacey had Kevin a movie. Spacey, I didn't even know he was allowed to be in movies anymore. Well, here's the thing. Kevin Spacey, he has not, he's had sort of a downturn in his career, obviously, for a lot of very terrible, terrible things that he did. And so he's sort of been banished from Hollywood. And apparently he's also been banished from making any money. His newest movie, Billionaire's Boys Club, was ironically named, apparently, because mm-hmm. on Friday, the opening night of this movie, it made a total. Of $126. No. $126. Did only one theater show it? How many theaters? No. Eight theaters showed it. Okay. So it, but, it wasn't a huge thing. But so so they're talking about it. What, maybe who maybe, are these eight theaters? <laughs> so, well, it's a good point, right? But but apparently for the entire weekend, they're, they're thinking that it's probably going to make somewhere around $450. Oh, my word. So they're, they're estimating that... It, about if you look at ticket prices today, maybe six people are going to see it per town oh per night. So yeah, it was one hundred twenty-six dollars on opening night, which admittedly is one hundred twenty-six dollars more than we've made doing this podcast. <laughs> but still, for Kevin Spacey, it's not a lot. Yeah, I mean, we haven't lost money. We haven't, we haven't lost they, money. They just lost a lot of money. <laughs> they lost a lot a hundred, of money. Yeah, but I want to know, who are the eight theaters that were like, yeah, we're still going to show it? All right, so here's here's where, if you wanted to go see <laughs> oh the Billionaire's gosh. Boys Club, you can see it in Phoenix, Detroit, New Orleans, Miami, and Hartford. So if you live anywhere around those areas, <laughs> Wait. go or not see how many ta- boys. how many towns did you just name five five so there could be three there's two or three there's a couple of those towns that have multiple theaters showing it <laughs> most of the united states Rolling won't even out. have one theater showing it but then there's a couple of these are like we're gonna put it in all the theaters it's probably hartford hartford's like hartford. all four it's all a huge four. kevin spacey place there's like a kevin spacey fan club there yeah it's weathering his what would be they're like trying to, to weather be, his controversy yeah what would it be like to be president of the kevin spacey fan club right now it would not know. be a very thankful job right it would now. not i i would probably fold the club yeah well or at least take it off my facebook profile and really they probably should have folded make the group secret yeah 
<laughs> make the group secret. That's, given what he's been accused of, maybe that's maybe not. not. Yeah. Ooh, yeah, that's okay. not what I meant. I meant like, yeah. Oh man, sorry guys. Moving um, on. All right, so for me, a uh, little bit lighter news, and that is um, that last week or two weeks ago now, for those of you, depending on when you are, mid-August. All right, mid-August. Madden, which is you know the only football sim that gets to be made anymore because of the rights being owned by Madden to all right. NFL properties. Exactly. And the NCAA being embroiled with legal problems so they don't make college football games anymore. And so part of the problem with that is that Madden hasn't really made updates to their console games in a long time. Because they haven't needed to. Because they uh, there's no competition. They're the only show in town. So what's crazy is that they have made a massive overhaul to their mobile video game madden it's been called madden mobile for the last several years and this mid-august they overhauled it and turned it into madden overdrive and it's a football game paul that you can play on your iphone right there that i can play on my iphone right here paul and you guys get to hear live as paul gets to see this for the first time look at look this i'm playing this on my phone right now paul welcome to the future look that's what you've been doing this whole podcast look at this watch oh my goodness look how good this looks Oh my goodness! This just looks like it's a couple years old, like from, you know, the May. And look at that cut and the way the camera comes in and the and this the is a mobile graphics. Game. This I'm playing on my phone right now. I'm controlling my offense. Green I'm Bay surprise! Plays. I'm playing with Green Bay. I'm going to run a Y cross flood. I got Kirk Cousins because you collect cards in this game. It's not you're not using you know. And I'm going to hit my Y route right here. It's incomplete. Yeah. But I so, mean, look look how good that looks. It does look pretty good. That's pretty amazing. Yeah. You know, the graphics on these video games are just amazing. I, I've on been playing, my phone. I know. I know. On your phone. Crazy. This should be a bigger deal. And on this, this office's Wi-Fi. That's actually a miracle <laughs> that you're able to play it at all. Even able to get to it. So anyways, Madden Overdrive. It's on Android. It's on iPhone. Even if you don't like football, just go see what's possible on your phone. I've tried to play Madden. Frankly, it is way too complicated for my little brain. This is less complicated because it's made for mobile. Yeah. But it's yet... And for little brains. And for little brains like mine. It's still f- like surprisingly in-depth for a mobile game. Even if it can't be as complex as right. the console version, it looks really good. And I have to say, I'm... It's got some. It's got some things to iron out, but I'm really impressed with what Madden has done with Overdrive. Yeah, I'm sure the next time we talk about greatest writers, you're going to talk about the people. I'll who talk wrote, about the people yeah. who made Madden. Yeah, they're the the Because that's best the writers. way you roll. Well, that's it for this time, folks. Be sure to get your copy of The Italian Job to watch along with us for Rank Geeks, or not Rank Geeks, for the uh, Backlist Hall of Shame, in case that was on your backlist, or if you thought, felt like rewatching a movie from 1969. <laughs> Old things are valid. Old things are valid. I am proof of that. Yeah. <laughs> and so, with that, it's always a pleasure to have you along with us for the ride. I'm Jake. I'm Paul. We'll catch you guys on the flip side. Bye.